there was a long time where I felt worthless and I felt like a bad mom and all of these oppressive feelings. Depression and uh, anxiety, other mental health issues, they tell us lies. They tell us lies. I was born with cerebral palsy. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up, use their voice, and make an impact in this world. Hey there, welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host. I'm so grateful for you. Today we have a powerful, powerful story. We spoke with Cindy Colby, who shares with us about one evening where she fell asleep at the wheel and was in a terrible car accident where her 14-year-old daughter, Beth, was injured and left paralyzed. Cindy shares with us about the inevitable guilt that came after that and how she dealt with the depression that settled in. This is such a transparent and raw episode. I'm so appreciative and admire Cindy so much for being willing to share such a personal story with us that I know is going to help so many people. Make sure you check out her book, Struggling with Serendipity, and her and Beth's writings on their website. I will link that up in the show notes. And if you've been listening for a while, have gotten any value from this show, please consider hitting that subscribe button and leaving us an honest review. Hey, and one last thing before we get started on this interview. If you are a content creator, maybe you have a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, or maybe you're thinking about starting one, but you struggle with consistency, I tell you, I understand because it is a lot more work than people think. But it's so important to be consistent so we can spread our messages to the people that we're trying to reach. So I created a free course for you. It is all about consistency with your content and building in systems and processes that make sure that you are deliberate with your production and staying on course with your work. You can grab that course by going to Heather parity.com forward slash free course, or you can text content to three, four, five, three, four, five. Again, that is content at three, four, five, three, four, five. I've always been a disability advocate. Even from the time when I was a teenager, my first full-time job was managing a group home for men with developmental disabilities. So at the time of the accident when everything changed for my family. I was working at a state institution. I was teaching literacy and the residents there had uh, multiple disabilities. And through the work that I had done there and many other places, I thought I had seen it all and I was wrong. Right, life has a way of uh, teaching us things sometimes. Why were you drawn to that field specifically? Even as a young girl, I 
I wanted to try to make a difference. I wanted to do something. And I was able to connect in high school with several different uh, volunteer projects, including a local, a local youth group that was helping with the, um, the county school for people with developmental disabilities. And that's really where it started. And at that time, we mainly put on dances for the teenagers and the adults at the school. But I wanted to do more. So I started a countywide babysitting service. That was really uh, turned out to be a, a great thing for a lot of families. I ran a training for other teenagers and then coordinated it. And in the process, I ended up babysitting for a lot of kids with all different kinds of disabilities. And I was sure that that's what I wanted my career to be. I wanted to try to make a small difference for people. Now, I've heard uh, in previous interviews you've done that at that time you were struggling with different mental health issues like depression. Is that right? Right. And early on, I was in denial about it. I didn't understand it. At first, I thought it implied that I wasn't grateful, that I wasn't happy with my life. And that wasn't the that wasn't the case. I had three great children. I'm married to my best friend. But as you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, uh, you know, depression doesn't work like that. Depression, um, depression isn't a matter of, of being grateful or not. It's just something that, you know, affects our body chemistry and how we, uh, how we see the world, how we function day to day. And over time, I was able to accept that. So right around the time when you, it was, it was three kids you have, right? Is that right? right. Yeah. So from the time you became a mom and they started growing up a little bit, how, how are you coping with the depression around that time? It was mostly controlled uh, up until the event that kind of that changed everything for my family. My youngest daughter, Beth, was injured in a car accident when she was 14. At that time, I had three teenagers, and I was driving back from my son's college concert. He was in a choir there. It was late at night, and um, I fell asleep at the wheel. And that one mistake seemed to be, well, it was so pivotal for me, for my daughter who was injured in the accident, and even for for other people in our family and friends, it turned out to be an event with a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you know that there was something really wrong with her? Oh, right away. We were in the car, we were upside down and uh, she couldn't move. Um, Right. It was, uh, it's still kind of a a nightmare image I have. Uh, You know, we were suspended upside down and she's asking me to undo her seatbelt. And I can't even figure out how to do that. You know, I'm disoriented. I had blacked out um, during the accident. Um, But I guess what I, in talking about that time, what I remember the most is Beth was calm. I mean, she was worried. Yeah, I could see a worried look on her face, but 
she was calm and she was telling me that she was okay. Even though she couldn't feel her legs, she couldn't move. I was able to undo her seatbelt and she was laying flat on the ceiling. And it was just something that my mind couldn't process, you know, at that moment. But she was sure at that moment and going forward that everything was going to be okay. And I really felt like nothing was ever going to be okay again. Um, so for a long time, she really led the way for me um, in the whole process of learning about her new disability, her spinal cord injury in the neck, and moving forward. As a mom, like watching the video, and I'm going to link it up in the show notes, you guys need to watch. They have a little documentary that they have just documenting this process. And it's such a beautiful uh, tribute to you and to her and just your story. But as a mom, I just, my heart, I just want to hug you. I want to go through here and just hug you because I, I can't imagine going through that. And how did you process through just that guilt? Right. That took a long time. Um, And I guess a, a big takeaway from, my story is, or something that I hope people take away from my story, is to ask for help. Because at the time, initially after the accident, I didn't feel like I had a right to ask for help. I, um, Beth was the one who was severely injured. And, but in reality, I should have, I should have asked for help then too, because I needed it. the guilt, the depression, the um, chronic pain at that time. Mm. And I'm, I've learned since then about how important it is, even as a caregiver, to take care of yourself because you're better able to help other people that way. Yeah. So, um, right, I'd like to encourage people anytime there's any kind of crisis whether it's a mental health crisis or a physical crisis or anything that, you know, that (laughs) these things sometimes can happen so suddenly Um, just to encourage people to reach out and let the people you love know how you're feeling and, and that you need their help. Um, I think that's an important first step. How did Beth process through that as just a young girl? Um, mm-hmm. What was that like for her? Right. Well, she's written about it quite a bit. I include some of her writings in my book. The amazing thing about it was she, was, she somehow was able to ex- accept her injury right from the start. She had the attitude that this happened. I can't do anything about it. I can't change what happened. So now my choice is, is moving forward. And what she was focused on what she needed to do to become more independent. Right after a spinal cord injury in the neck, the people who have this have no function. They're basically helpless, even though the injury leave, may leave them with some uh, muscle function Uh, depending on the person, injuries are all different. For my daughter, she's quadriplegic, but she does have muscle function in her arms. But even right after the injury, 
she couldn't she could barely move them there's a really tough time uh, in the beginning especially where for everyone involved because the person suddenly has lost every scrap of independence and in in my daughter's case she also lost her hand function so all those million daily little things that you know, you and I or most people take for granted you know is suddenly gone and she was a 14 year old girl one of the things as we went forward that that bothered her more than some other things was she couldn't put her hair up in a ponytail you know such a basic thing um and that ability was just gone after her accident one of the stories about beth that i like to mention is being 14 years old and wanting to be able to put her hair up in a ponytail um she tried every day she we tried first we tried different kinds of elastics and she tried different positioning she had occupational therapists helping her try to figure it out uh and, and long story short on that it after two years, she figured it out. Well, after about a year and a half, she figured out the first step, how to get the elastic band around the hair, but then it wasn't tight enough. So it took her another several months to figure out how to do a second loop to tighten it. So she had an um, amazing uh, level of persistence that I certainly don't have. And I really wish I did in, in so many ways. Um, but it served her really well. And because of it, she was able to gradually learn how to do things for herself again, to the point where after four years, she became completely independent in her self-care, which is a very, which, which can be a rare thing. For people with quadriplegia because it is very difficult um, very time-consuming also but it was just amazing to watch her go through that process I love whenever you talk about her your whole face lights up <laughs> it does it's, it's such a beautiful thing well what about the relationships uh, with your with your other children what was that like through that process my uh, other daughter Maria and my son Ben they were older we, I we talk about how Beth's injury really impacted all of us in different ways. Um, my daughter, Maria, had always wanted to be a teacher, but after the accident, she, became, she decided to become a special ed teacher, and she's a very passionate one. She does wonderful work in the Boston area. My son was in college. I was frustrated in the, by the fact that you know, there was a distance there. I'd, I wish that I could have been more helpful for him and everyone else in my family that had the initial challenge of, you know, processing this and, and moving forward. But, but he did very well on his own. We moved to be closer to all three of them. Uh, we get to see them more often now. I love that. And Beth, she went on to go to Harvard, right, and become a part of a right. swim team, correct? Yes, and she was the first in our family to go to college out of state, let wow. alone Ivy League. So that was a big thing for our family at the time. In fact, I spent her freshman year, I moved out there and lived off campus for transition support uh, 
just for the first year. She was on the U.S. Paralympic swim team for five years, and three of those years, she also was on the Harvard women's swimming and diving team. She was the first with a visible disability, and that was an amazing experience for her, a wonderful experience uh, to be on a Division I college team, even though she, could, she never scored a point for the team. But she was an equal member and valued, like every other member of the team was valued. There were many experiences like that that we never could have imagined and never expected after her injury. I say that Beth has a, has a, a way of attracting serendipity, and we experienced a lot of that. She even was able to help me <laughs> to be able to uh, find it more often. Um, because for a long time, it was hard for me to, I didn't have the same level of hope, the same uh, optimism that she had in the beginning. Yeah. Now, I've never met your daughter nor talked to her, but she has this just radiating energy that I've seen just from the video that mm-hmm. you just feel like you know her. She seems so kind and genuine. And one thing that really stood out to me was her intense love for you and how much she just adored you. And I just wondered about your relationship with her. What has this experience taught you about being a mom? Yes, uh, so much. Um, We became a team after her injury. So we were very close and we still are. It was challenging in some ways because as a mom, I wanted her life to be easy. I wanted her life to be comfortable, and I wanted, in on one, on the one hand, I wanted to do everything for her, <laughs> to to try to make her life easier. And on the other hand, I had worked in the disability community long before the accident, and I understood that she also needed to be independent. And so there was, <laughs> there was. Uh, both of these sides, and um, there were times where it was hard to stand back and watch her struggle to get dressed or whatever a new task she was trying to accomplish. But um, no, we but we had a good relationship, and and uh, we still do. She shares my passion for volunteering in the disability community, so we have a lot in common that way. And it, it's fun that that's even intersected at times. Last year, we both. We both were at the Warrior Mom Summit in D.C. and where she spoke. And that was fun, you know, to start doing some of uh, the advocacy work with her. Yeah. But she's gone far beyond any advocacy work that I've ever done. And she's, uh, she's doing pro bono work now for national nonprofits and businesses in the disability community. And She's a lawyer, right? Yes. Yeah. In D.C., right? She works long days and she loves her life. She's getting married in May. So we're having fun with wedding plans right now. I love the, I love this word hope. And I've listened to a couple of your interviews that you've done and you said that it's a really important word to you. And I, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more that I, I, I can't think of a better word <laughs> of what we desperately just need in this world is a sense of hope. 
Why are you passionate about sharing hope specifically with people? I'm passionate about sharing hope because there was a long time after my daughter's injury where I couldn't see it and I couldn't imagine seeing it. It felt like I was always going to be in this in this place where there was no hope, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. I think that time period was even longer than it needed to be because I refused to ask for help for a long time. And I'm sure that if I had reached out sooner that I could have gotten through that sooner. So I, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing my story because I hope people, when they're in a situation where, they're, that, where they don't see hope, I'd like them to know that I was there and I did find a way out. I did find hope again. And if you had, if I had been honest with someone early after Beth's injury, I wasn't sure I was going to get there. And it's a really uh, lonely, uh, isolating feeling to have. But there, but there is help and there is hope. If you never give up, hope wins. What I love about your story, Cindy, and what I respect so much about you is you, you go through this and I can't imagine. I just, I can't, but you have been strong enough to say, I want to share this with the world, Mm -hmm. which is not easy to do. No, writing this book was the, one of the hardest things I've done. And there are still times I wonder now, did I share too much? (laughs) Is this, uh, the beginning is pretty intense. What would you tell someone who was really struggling with guilt or self-hatred or whatever you want to say? They were like you. They felt like they had a calling in their life. They wanted to do something great, but they have this voice in their head that says, who are you to do this? Mm-hmm. You know what you've yeah. done. You know how imperfect you are. You know how, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That voice in our head can be so strong and so debilitating. What would you speak to that person? There was a long time where I felt worthless and I felt like a bad mom and all of these oppressive feelings. I guess what I would want to tell them is depression and uh, anxiety, other mental health issues, they tell us lies. They tell us lies because you know, it's just not true. Every person has worth. Every person has value is what I'm trying to say. So these depression tells us that we're worthless, but we need to take a closer look at that and realize that it's the depression talking and that we need help with that. And many people try to deal with depression and other mental health issues on their own. And it's not a good idea. I don't, I have, I don't know any situation, any person where that has worked well for them. So I think it's important to reach out and ask for help. And if it, if your initial quest for help isn't working, ask, you know, broaden your search, but uh, definitely don't give up on that because 
depression and other mental health issues are, are things that we all need help with. Why was it important for you to share this story? I think it's important for me to share this story for a couple of different reasons. One is I want to encourage people to ask for help and not hide their feelings like I did. Another aspect of it is I learned so much from my, my family and my daughter, Beth, through this process. And Beth really taught me that how we look at the world matters and how we look at limits and how we look at possibilities, how we look at what options we have in our life. I think that's a valuable message too. Cindy, where can people connect with you online and grab this book? My book is available everywhere books are sold. It's called Struggling with Serendipity. And the reason for that title is after Beth's injury, good things started happening. I could see that they were good things, but I was still struggling. And my website is strugglingwithserendipity.com. I'll have all of that linked in the show notes. For our very last question, Cindy, just want to acknowledge you. You are an incredible, incredible woman, and I admire your strength. And I really want to drive home how amazing it is that you have been so selfless to share this with other people who really need to hear it and who may be struggling silently and dealing with this. And mm-hmm. you are on the forefront helping them with this. So thank you for your work. Very last question. If you were to go back before this accident and sit with yourself for a moment and tell yourself one thing, what would you say? I would say talk to the people who love you. They reach out and they'll help. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have not subscribed yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And also, if you have a second, leave us a review. Lastly, we have a private Facebook group. If you are looking for a tribe of like-minded leaders who are unconventional in their approach, but dedicated to making an impact, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders, and we will be sure to add you. You guys have a great week.